This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. Playful. <laughs> Let's get into this conversation. And once again, a disclaimer we are having an adult conversation. So if there are any children in the room, um, Let's try keep them out of the room and away from the radio at this moment. If you're in the car with your child, just turn down the volume. Don't switch off Power 98.7. Just turn down the volume. On the line with us is Dr. Tlaleng Mofukeng, um, and she is United Nations Special Repertoire on the Right to Health and Sexual Reproductive and Rights Expert. Good morning to you, Dr. Mofukeng. Thank you so much for your time. Good morning. So, you know, when we speak about having the conversation around sexual intercourse with our children. Is there an appropriate age? And I'm putting appropriate in inverted commas because I suppose it will be different for each family. But is there an appropriate age for this conversation to be had? So I think the approach that I always have and the advice I have for um, parents and caregivers generally is that there is no time for the talk, you know, in inverted commas, there's very intimidating, time-bound, time-sensitive discussion to happen that's usually seen as a once-off. I think we need to create families and dynamics within families that allow for open communication where children can be honest, where children are supported in their inquisitiveness when they ask questions. And, you know, the sex talk, because of how it's been framed around sex, we miss opportunities even when children are just asking about their bodies and how their bodies function, right? That's already the start of actually affirming your child that this is your body and it's yours alone and you start having conversations about them and why certain people shouldn't touch them and if those kinds of things happen, they must, you know, they must tell you without really only just focusing on sexual intercourse. I think a lot of the times... Children have questions, they may hear things from their other children, they may see things, they may read things, they may see something on a billboard. But if they are already living in a context where they are fearful of even just asking a question, it means we are already setting an atmosphere where they don't feel free to truly speak and engage with us. So by the time we think we're going to have the talk when they are teenagers, we've set a tone For the previous years in their lives where they know that we will scold them, we will accuse them of things, we won't believe them, and we just generally are not open-minded to having conversations with them. So for me, it starts with that relationship fundamentally of trust, open communication, and being clear that your children, the children in your care, can always come to you first and foremost for support and for questions and for guidance. Why is it still such a taboo? Dr. Mufugeng, to have the talk with our children? 
I think it's taboo because we've made it so much about the act of sex itself, when actually it's about communication skills. It's about modeling good boundary setting and good boundary um, uh, 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 acceptance of good boundaries as a person, but also modeling to the children what consent looks like and doesn't look like. So we should be asking our children consent and we should be modeling to them when they say, no, I don't want to hug uh, auntie so-and-so or uncle so-and-so. It should be okay. But in many instances, we act by saying, no, you must hug or you must give a kiss to uncle so-and-so because he's mommy's friend or he's your uncle. So we are already teaching our children that they must not do what they feel comfortable about and they must please us so that we can maintain whatever adult relationships we have with those people, um, which is very disempowering for children. So I think we really need to think about it in very different terms altogether um, and build consistently with children the guidance, the modeling of good behavior, and also trusting them and respecting them in their own right as children who will set the pace of their learning. Some children will already ask you at eight years old, Mommy, how are babies made? Some will only ask you at 12, you know. So you should be able, depending on the pace of your child's learning and what it is um, that they're being exposed to and consuming themselves and are inquisitive about themselves, that you should be able to meet them where they are at um, and not scold them necessarily for having questions. Is this a conversation that must be had just by the moms with their children? Absolutely not. This is a conversation for everybody. Um, and, and a lot of families are constituted very differently. That isn't necessarily a mom, right? We have many families where the dad um, becomes the primary caregiver of children for whatever reason, and that's fine. And we should be able to give the tools to all adults who are caregivers, whether it's teachers, whether it's the ladies um, you know, who are taking care of the children in extracurricular, whether it's the parental household, whether it's extended family members, we all need this as a good social skill to be able to support children's learning and development and curiosity through the different phases of their lives. And of course, a conversation will go very differently, right, um, with a, with a six-year-old who's learning different parts of their body versus a 12-year-old who's perhaps going to start menstruating very soon. So, of course, definitely there will be a difference in conversation in depth. However, I think there is a default setting that we need to assume that this isn't, this isn't just a mom-only um, issue. And I think that may, maybe perhaps... Um, creates another layer of taboo, right, that these subjects are only for women. Uh, Men also and boys also need to learn healthy relationships. They too need to learn how to seek consent, how to respond as a person with consent and being sought from, but also what to do with a yes or a no. A lot of relationships are catastrophized because someone doesn't want to hold a hand, someone doesn't want a kiss, someone doesn't want a hug, and someone doesn't want to have sex. So we need to remove the the catastrophic nature of how we respond to consent, and that in fact it is okay to feel particular things and, and be okay to just hold hands, and that's fine, and validate different types of, of, of relationship, validate different types of emotional connection and validate different types of physical connection and attraction without really just making everything interpreted around the act of having sex. Many children are not having actual physical sexual intercourse, but they are 
sexual beings in that they are holding hands, they are touching, they're exploring their own bodies, you know. And often when we talk about the sex talk, it's always about sex with other people. We never actually talk about children just about their own bodies, their own fulfillment and understanding their bodies first and foremost. Um, and so, again, it creates that layer of taboo um, that sex is something that we do with other people or that gets done to us. And we miss another important step of just talking about the self and how I relate to my own body and my own ideals about my own um, you know, position in the world, but also ultimately how I want to experience the world as a sexual being. Mm. There's also then the conversation, Dr. Tlaleng, about you know um, the sexual orientation, right? Um, or you know their sexual preference for, um, for for children to also have this conversation with their parents and to feel comfortable enough that if we are able to have the sex talk, can I also then just share with you my sexual orientation and you know what I prefer? Uh, or how can I, or them coming out rather, you know, let me put it like that, them mm-hmm. coming out, um, you know, whether they're gay or lesbian or bisexual, those are also conversations that would need to be had, don't, or, or am I wrong, in the same kind of context mm-hmm. when they are talking, when they are having the talk? Mm. I think if we have assumed a healthy and a positive aspect of sexuality and sexual being, right, and we've set those foundational um, uh, uh, characteristics of how we relate, right, between uh, adolescents and parents and caregivers. I think it becomes easier for children to let us know when they are unsure or uncertain about particular things. And I think it's, it's important for us to remember that even being straight or heterosexual is a sexual orientation. It is a sexual identity. Uh, being a man or a woman is a gender identity as well. And these are not reserved for gay people or queerness, right? And so even this idea that by being slightly different or by being inquisitive or by being uncertain about particular things, it therefore puts in a category where we then put a burden of children to come out or to try and make sense of everything all at once because we need to make sure that you are straight or not, you know? I think that's too much pressure on children. And sexuality is fluid. Gender itself is fluid. And it is part of a construct societally, depending on where you are. There are lots of families where everyone wakes up and everybody cleans, right? Mm -hmm. There are a lot of families who will say, no, but the girls must clean. So those are all gendered roles and gendered ways in which families, the nuclear family, is already treating children. And based on that kind of treatment, and I always call it the intimate politics, right? The politics of the family. Children already know what's acceptable and what will not be acceptable. And often we will say homophobic things, we will say transphobic things, we will say racist things, we will say sexist things, right? Even in conversation with adults, we'll be commenting on the news, we'll be commenting on something we are seeing in a movie, and we think children don't hear us. So by the time your child has something to ask you about, whether it's their sexuality, whether it's their gender, whether it's relationship, whether it's about breaking up with someone, they already know whether or not they can trust you. They already know whether or not you have some biases and prejudice as their caregiver, as their adult. And often parents will be so shocked that their children would rather come and speak to me, right, without being sick, they'd rather still come speak to me than speak to them. And I say it's because they know my default setting is one of non-judgment, I'm open-minded, and I would listen to them first and foremost 
before wanting to give them advice. Mm. And so I think we need to remove the pressure off of children from trying to figure out every single thing all at once um, and realize that it is a journey of self-discovery for everybody. Everyone has a sexual um, orientation. Everyone has a gender identity. It's just that for many people, their gender identity and sexual orientation fit the binary of what the society accepts as the majority and which is more acceptable. Um, and others, of course, then find um, re- resistance and sometimes violence, right, for expressing who they are. And that's where we need to really support children. It's to shield them um, from abuse and bullying, but also support them in developing their true sense in confidence. Dr. Tlaleng Mufugeng, thank you so much. Truly appreciate your time this morning. Thank you so much. Dr. Mufugeng, speaking to us there about having the talk with your children, but not just the sex talk, having the sexuality talk as well, giving them the comfortable space to be able to speak to you about every aspect of their lives. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.